Good morning, Freedom. Man, that was, that was bad. Let's try that again. I think our folks online did a better job. Good morning, Freedom. Oh, fantastic. It is great to see you all this morning. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want to take a moment to thank Johnny, Melissa, and Ansley for just leading us to the cross. Because one thing, if you are visiting with us, either here or online, one of the things that our church is all about is the gospel. We want to continually point ourselves back to the gospel. The gospel isn't just something that we hear when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. The gospel is something that we live by day in and day out. And so we're just grateful for the for the the leading of us in worship and pointing us towards the gospel, reminding us who we are in Christ. So thank you so much. We appreciate that. If you are a guest, whether you're here or online, uh, we would love to connect with you. And one of the ways that we can do that is simply by you texting guest to our church office number. And that number is 706-651-8373. You can simply text guest. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to do anything like that. But just as, it's just an opportunity for us in, in this day and age that we live in just to connect with you. Because the reality is we were all meant for connection. God never intended us to live in isolation. He intended us for us to live in connection with one another. And so by texting guests to, to our church, you can uh, learn how you can get more connected here at Freedom. And so we're just, again, grateful that you're here. Now, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, actually last several months, you know that we've been walking through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, we've been studying this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And today, we are actually coming to the end of this book. Yeah, some of you are excited, yes. And so we started this way back in May. So if you haven't been with us, you can go to our website, freedombiblechurch.net. You can find all the messages uh, in this series to catch up on this incredible book. But today, we're actually going to conclude the book. I know some of you thought we would never end, and uh, now we're finally uh, getting to the end. And in chapter 4, is such an incredible chapter. It is so rich and full of some of, the, some of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. Some of the most encouraging promises of all the Bible. And in fact, chapter 4 is, probably has more verses that are on t-shirts and coffee mugs than any other chapter in the entire Bible. Just think about it. It says things like, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You may have heard this one. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He talks about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's anything excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He goes on, we talked about last week. He says that I have learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself. He says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And one we're going to look at today. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You see, Paul brings this entire amazing letter into this conclusion that we're going to see today by focusing our attention on the fact 
that financial generosity and gospel partnership are inseparable to the church. He's going to talk about this fact that, that, that our finances and what we do with our money determines and is an indicator of our spiritual lives. And it's interesting that Paul ends the book this way, by talking about God's economy. And we're going to see how God's economy works, because God's economy works different than our economy. God's economy is, is unique and special. It's going to be incredible as you see some of the truths that we're going to find in Scripture today. Now, some of you are going, oh, great. I showed up on a day they're going to talk about finances and talk about money. And some of you online are like, I'm getting ready to click off and hit, you know, go, let me go find something a little more encouraging. But, don't, but wait, wait, I want you to stick around because here's the reality. What Paul is going to show us today is incredibly encouraging. And the promise that he shows us from God to those of us who are his followers is an incredible promise for, for us as, if we follow these principles in this passage that Paul concludes this letter with. And so I don't want you to check out, I want you to stick around, because the reality is the Bible talks a lot about money. In fact, Jesus taught more about finances and more about money than he did about heaven and hell. And part of that is because what we do with our money is an indication of where our hearts are. Jesus said it, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Paul closes out this letter by talking about what it means to partner in the gospel. If you remember way back in the beginning, in chapter 1, Paul celebrates the fact that the church at Philippi was a partner in the gospel. That they had been partnering with him for over 10 years of supporting his ministry, walking with him, helping him plant churches, helping him fulfill the mission. And Paul is, is once again coming back at the very end of this book, in the end of this letter, and he's talking to them and celebrating the fact that they're not consumers, but that they're partners. That they're not just receiving, but they're giving. They're not, they're, they're, they're not just sitting by, idly by, but they are active participants, even though they never have to leave Philippi. You see, the church at Philippi had this incredible reputation for giving sacrificially generously and cheerfully and paul says because of that they supported the advancement of the gospel at the very beginning if you remember in this book paul talks about in chapter one how even though he was in chains even though he was in prison even though he was locked up in rome that the gospel was advancing that the kingdom of God was moving forward. And he comes back to a lot of these same ideas as he closes out this letter to remind the church that they are co-laborers. That they are partners with him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see Paul uh, talking about the church at Philippi and their partnership with him. And he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. And he's talking to the church at Corinth about the church at Philippi. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which is Philippi. Two churches in the region of Macedonia, Philippi and Thessalonica. And he's talking about Philippi here. And listen to what he says about them. For in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? He says, in the midst of their extreme affliction, you've got to understand, the church at Philippi was being persecuted. It was a Roman colony, and Rome was attacking the church. Rome was persecuting the church. And as a colony of Rome, the church at Philippi was also facing persecution. So Paul says, listen, in the midst of their severe affliction and their abundance of joy. Remember, the entire book of Philippians, one of the major themes is joy, right? Paul talks about it over and over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he says, in the midst of their affliction and the abundance of their joy, and he even mentions their extreme poverty. What you have to know about the church at Philippi is that it was not a wealthy church. It was a blue-collar, everyday man's church. And Paul says, in their extreme poverty... They had a wealth of generosity. No wonder Paul loved this church so much. No wonder he had such affection for the church at Philippi. Because they supported him over and over again with a wealth of generosity. Even in the midst of their poverty, even in the midst of their affliction. They continued over and over and over again to support the Apostle Paul. By helping advance the gospel, by helping plant churches, by helping support other Christians in other cities and other towns through their financial means. The church at Philippi had skin in the game. They didn't sit idly by. And for those of you who know me, you know that I love context. Every passage of scripture that we teach here at Freedom, we want to understand the context. Because if we don't understand the context, we can take it out of context and have the Bible say whatever we want it to say. And so I love context because any text taken out of context can easily become a pretext. Any text taken out of context can easily become a pretext. And the context of this, the ending of this chapter begins actually in Philippians 4 verse 10. And so in just a few moments, we're going to start reading in verse 10, even though we're going to be primarily teaching 14 through the end of the book. But let me give you a little bit of background that sets this up. You see, the church at Philippi had supported Paul for over 10 years. On numerous occasions, they would take up an offering and they would send it to wherever Paul was located. And they had been doing this over and over again for 10 years. And when the church at Philippi found out that the Apostle Paul was in Rome in prison, what did they do? They once again take up an offering. And they send this man named Epaphroditus 800 miles. We looked at him in chapter 2. They send him 800 miles from Philippi to Rome in order to deliver this gift to Paul. In order to meet Paul's needs. In order to help continue the advancement of the gospel. And so let's pick up in, in verse 10 of chapter 4. And let's hear what he says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned 
in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. And as we looked at last week, I can do all these things, plenty and hunger, abundance and need, through Christ, through Him who strengthens me. Let's pick up in verse 14. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, listen to this, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, which is another church in Macedonia, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Listen to how he describes it. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In verse 19, And my God will supply Every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you would think that's where he would stop, but Paul never stops with his first amen. It's always his second amen that he ends with. Listen to what he says. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What an incredible passage when we dive into this. We're going to discover some things about generosity, some truths about generosity that I believe if we apply to our lives will radically transform how we live. It will radically transform how we walk. These insights that Paul gives into what it means to be a generous person church and what it means to walk in generosity and the first thing i want you to see is that generosity is applauded generosity is applauded generosity is celebrated by paul look at verse 14 yet it was kind of you to share my trouble now you have to understand paul says this right after he says i'm content whether i'm in abundance or need i've learned to be content so it would have been easy for the church in Philippi to say, wait a second, Paul. Why did we send Epaphroditus 800 miles if you're content in abundance and need? They could have begun to think, man, we wasted our time. We wasted our finances. We wasted our resources because this dude's content. And so Paul wants them to know, listen, no, 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 no. Though I've learned to be content, though I've learned to be content, I am grateful for the gift that you've sent. What you've done is a good thing. What you've done it helps advance the gospel. What you've done is important. Why? Because what we do with our money is an indicator of where we are spiritually. So Paul says, listen, though I've learned to be content, I want to reassure you, church, that your generosity is good. It is a good thing. I think it's important 
to clear up a misunderstanding that I believe has been circulating or in and throughout the church for years and years and years. And that is this, that money is evil. Money's not evil. Money is neutral. Money is, is, is amoral. What we do with our money, what we do with our resources, that determines its usefulness or not. That determines how we should view it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, wait, wait, wait a second, Eric. Doesn't, doesn't the Bible say that, that, that money is the root of all evil? No. In fact, it's written in 1 Timothy. It's where we get this verse. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. It says this, For the love of money, and get this, is a root of all evil, of all sorts of evil, all kinds of evil. So it's the love of money is a root, not the root, but a root of all sorts of evil, all sorts of bad things. And that puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? Puts a different perspective on that verse. It's the love of money that's a root. Not the root, but a root. And listen, we can love money whether we have a little bit of it or a lot of it. Like we can have money, if we have a lot of it, we can want to hoard it. We can want to be greedy with it. If we have little of it, we can, be, we can deceive and try to get more of it. We can walk in jealousy. We can walk in, in envy. And Paul is saying or t- to Timothy, listen, it's the love of money that can wreck us. And sometimes when we have trouble, when we talk about finances in the church, it's because we're allowing the love of money to drive us. To consume us. And then we hear a message about our finances straight from the Apostle Paul. And we're like, here we go, the church talking about money again. And that's not what I want you to hear at all. Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you know there have been many people throughout Scripture that have been incredibly wealthy and incredibly godly. And there's been a lot of people throughout Scripture that have been incredibly poor and incredibly godly. You can be both godly and rich. You can be both godly and poor at the same time. So money, just let me just name a few. Old Testament, you've got Abraham, Job, Joseph, King David, all incredibly wealthy, but yet walked with the Lord. In the New Testament, you've got Lydia, who was part of the church at Philippi. Gaius, who's mentioned in, in 3 John. You've got Joseph, Armiathea, Sorry, Arimathea. And you've got these people that were incredibly wealthy, yet walked with Jesus, walked with God. In fact, J. Paul Getty said this. He said, money is like manure. You can stack it up and it stinks. Or you can spread it out and it will make things grow. True, isn't it? And so you see, giving to God's work, when you and I walk in generosity with our time, our talents, and our treasures, it has an opportunity to advance God's work, to cause the kingdom of God to grow and to multiply. And I want to be honest. The honest truth is this, that very few things ever get done in ministry without the generosity of God's people. 
Now, partnership in the gospel isn't just about resources and, and finances, but it is a part of it. And very little gets done in the kingdom of God without the support of God's generous people. But here's the challenge. Here's the problem. Only about 10 to 25 percent of average of the average congregation give regularly and consistently. That's a small percentage. It's the Pareto's principle, 80-20. 20% of the people, actually it's 10 to 25% of the people in a normal average congregation give regularly and consistently. In fact, I read some statistics. In the last 20 years, giving to churches and giving to ministries has decreased by 50% in the last 20, 25 years. It's incredible, isn't it? Average, the average churchgoer adult gives $17 a week to God's work. And we wonder why the kingdom of God isn't advancing in our communities, isn't advancing in our neighborhoods, why the kingdom of God isn't moving forward in our country. Part of it is because God's people have not walked like the church at Philippi in generosity. But the church at Philippi was different. Listen to what Paul said about him in, in Philippians 4.18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Isn't that a cool description? Paul is going all Old Testament to us. It's like the this picture of the temple of God. Back in the Old Testament, he says it's a fragrant offering. A sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, if you and I were to walk back 2,000 years ago into the, uh, into the temple, there would have been a fragrant offering being, being sent up. And what would that offering have smelled like? Your favorite barbecue joint. We all love the smell of barbecue, right? Imagine the walking into the temple, and that would be the smell. Walking into Scania's, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And Paul is using that reference to remind us that when we give, it is pleasing to God. That the highest motivation for generosity is not because the church needs it, but it is because God is worth it. Listen, when you and I walk in generosity, it pleases God. In fact, to the church in Corinth, Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when his children are generous. Those of us who are parents, we love it when our kids are generous, right? Like when we when our kids are small or even when they're older and we see them walking in generosity, we see them sharing a cookie on the playground or we see them giving away of themselves, what does it do? Man, it brings up all this joy and pride in our kids. Like, man, at least we've done something right. God's the same way with his children. When you and I are generous, when we are willing to pour out our very lives including our finances, for the sake of his kingdom. It says he loves that. So listen, please, never give out of obligation, 
but give cheerfully out of generosity because God is worth it. Paul is saying our generosity is an act of worship, not one of duty. And I think that's part of the reason that the average adult only gives $17 a week because they feel like it's an obligation and not an act of worship. But when we worship God through our giving and through our generosity, it says that it's a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to God. So the first thing is that generosity is commended. But the second thing I want you to see is the fruit, <clears throat> the fruit of our generosity is compounded in heaven. This is where God's uh, economy kicks in. And this is, some of these, this is going to be incredible. This is where it gets really good because there's some incredible insights into God's accounting principles. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I'm after the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So here's what happens. When we give, we bear fruit. When we give, when we're generous, what happens is we profit spiritually. That's what Paul's saying. He said it is credited to your account. When you and I give financially, when we support the kingdom of God, when we give to advance God's mission, the fruit that happens is credited to our account. It accrues over time as a result of the gift. So here's, how, here's how it would work. Paul would go out and preach the gospel. Paul would go out and he would plant churches in city after city after city. The church in Philippi would help support that by giving financially to that. And then God would then credit the fruit of Paul's labors in other cities and other areas back into the church at Philippi's spiritual account in heaven. It's a pretty remarkable principle, isn't it? That God works that way. That's the way his accounting works. The fruit that came from Paul's labor and the Philippians' support got credited back to the church at Philippi. It's a fascinating principle. And there's some incredible implica implications of that. It means this, that you and I can actually reach people that we never meet that we never come in contact with, that we never have a relationship with, simply by living generously. And what God does is He takes that fruit, the fruit of the gospel that is expanded through our generosity, and He credits it to our account. It's what Jesus said when He said that we are to store up treasure in heaven. How do we do that? We live generously. We give to the kingdom of God generously. And then we store up this treasure in heaven as a result of the fruit that is produced through our generosity. We are able to multiply our spiritual effectiveness and impact by becoming generous givers and supporting God's work financially. It's an incredible principle. But it gets even better. The third thing is this, generosity is rewarded here and now. So it's compounded in heaven, but it's rewarded here on earth. It's rewarded right here and now. Listen to what he says in verse 19. And my God will supply every need 
of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What an encouraging promise. That God is going to supply our needs when we walk in generosity. The problem is that this is often a misunderstood and misapplied verse. See, oftentimes, and we said this earlier, but any text taken out of context becomes a pretext. And we can have the Bible say whatever we want it to say by simply taking verses out of context. And unfortunately, people do it all the time. The prosperity gospel is built on the fact that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, taken out of context. And it becomes a pretext. And this verse has become a blanket promise. It's become a blank check that if you're a follower of Jesus, that God will supply all of your needs and even some of your wants. That's not what the verse says at all, is it? That's not what the text actually says. It doesn't say that God will automatically care for all of your needs. It doesn't say that if you're a Christian, no matter how you live, whether you're generous or not, no matter what you do with your money, that God will supply all of your needs. No, that's not what the verse means at all. Paul did not write this verse, this promise, to the church in Thessalonica. He didn't write it to the church in Corinth. He didn't write it to the church in Colossae. Who did he write it to? The church at Philippi. Why? Because the church at Philippi was generous. The church at Philippi gave faithfully to the work of God. So Paul writes this verse, this promise, to the church at Philippi, who time and time and time again had been faithful with their finances, had been faithful with their generosity. So this promise, Philippians 4.19, that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, is a promise to givers, not to non-givers. It's a promise to generous people, not to, not to people that are not generous. God's promise to supply all of our need is rooted in the context of faithful, generous, sacrificial giving that was seen time and time again in the church at Philippi. See, God meets our needs to express his approval of our generosity. So if we're not living generously, we can't expect God to supply all of our needs. That's what the text says. That's what the scripture says. And again, it goes, it's needs, not wants. Now this may sound harsh, but God does not promise to, the, to supply the needs of stingy, lazy, selfish, irresponsible Christians. It's not what he promises at all. And before you get mad at Paul and get mad at me, Jesus said the exact same thing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said this, Give, and it will be what? Given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. My God will supply all of your needs when you're generous. Give and it will be given to you. This is a promise, once again, for givers, for generous people. You give and God will give back. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will, put, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured 
back to you. Here's the principle. That God generously treats those who treat others generously. That's the principle of Philippians 4.19. And you see this principle over and over and over again. Listen to Proverbs 11. The generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will himself also be watered. Proverbs 22.9. A generous man will himself be blessed. Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Over and over and over again, we see in this principle in Scripture that God generously treats, God generously supplies for the needs of those who walk in generosity, to those who live generously. And so generosity is commended. It's compounded in heaven. It's rewarded on earth. But then this fourth one, this fourth one is probably one of my favorites. And it's this, that God's family is expanded through our generosity. God's family is expanded. Listen to what he says again in verses 20 through 23. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 21, we kind of skim over these final greetings, don't we, oftentimes when we read Scripture. But man, this is so powerful, so incredible. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And listen to verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And listen to what happened. The generosity of the church in Philippi enabled Paul to share the gospel with people who would never have been reached with the gospel. The household of Caesar. Christians were becoming, uh, people were becoming Christians within Caesar's household. Those closest to him, which more than likely meant the guards that were with Paul day in and day out. And then where they would go and they would be sent to another area in, under the Roman colony, and the gospel would be, then be taken there, and it would expand wherever those guards went. And Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. Why? Because they were experiencing persecution from whom? Caesar's household. They were experiencing persecution from Caesar. It was an edict. It was a directive to persecute the church. And Paul's going, listen, there are people in Caesar's household that are coming to know the Lord. Be encouraged. Because the gospel is expanding. God's family is growing. And it's a reminder, folks, that you and I are a part of something larger than ourselves. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are a part of the kingdom of God, which is ever-expanding both through our faithfulness and through our generosity. See, the gospel expands. The kingdom grows when you and I faithfully share the gospel where we live, work, and play and generously give through gospel partnership through the church. That's how, that's how God has set it up. It's a reminder to the church at Philippi that nothing can stop the gospel. 
that the gospel is going to advance no matter what. In Philippians 1.12, Paul prayed that the gospel would advance. And in Philippians 4.20-23, he shows them how the gospel is advancing in the, in, even within Caesar's household. So you and I are stewards of all that God has given us. Everything God's given us. And he wants us to use wisely what he's placed in our hands. Why? Because it all, begins, it all belongs to him to begin with. It's all his to start with. And whatever we place in his hands for his glory, he will make sure that it is used to advance his kingdom. He will make sure that the fruit of that labor, of our generosity, will be credited to our account. He will make sure that all of our needs are supplied for. He will make sure that his kingdom continues to advance. And folks, that is a great way to live. Knowing that God, knowing that God is pleased when we walk generously. Knowing that our generosity is compounded in heaven, knowing that our generosity is rewarded here on earth, and knowing that our generosity will help advance God's kingdom. Some pretty cool things that are happening here at Freedom that are advancing God's kingdom. Many of you may not even know, but on Sunday evenings, not every Sunday evening, but throughout the, this fall, Greenbrier Church, who is a local church here in our area, is actually using our facility on Sunday nights. We're partnering with them. They were meeting in the schools and through COVID, they can't meet in schools anymore. And so we're like, we've got a building. We're not charging them a dime. We don't want to. Why? Because we're partnering with them. It's helping advance the gospel in our community. But you know how we we're able to do that? Through our freedom's financial support. See, when you, this is so cool. When you give, when you support the ministry here, you're not just supporting what happens with the group of folks that are here in this room now and watching online. You're supporting what's happening through Greenbrier Church. So they can gather here on Sunday evenings and they can be encouraged to then go carry the gospel to our very communities, our very neighborhoods. And here's what happens. When people give their lives to Christ as a result of Greenbrier Church, it gets credit to our account. When we walk into it, that's cool, isn't it? That is how God's economy works. Things you don't know were how we're helping families that are struggling through this COVID season. How your generosity enables us to give and support families that are hurting right now because of job loss, because of other circumstances. We were giving away money to a, to a family this week because they're struggling financially. They're getting ready to be evicted. And what are we doing, church? We're, you're giving. You don't even know this is happening. It's all happening behind the scenes. But because of your generosity, that's what we get to do. And God's continuing to do that over and over and over again. All because of your generosity. All because those of you who are walking like the church at Philippi, who continually supported the mission of God's kingdom. But the reality is we can't continue to do it without your generosity. We can't continue to impact families without you. And so here, here's my encouragement. Partner with us. Partner with us. 
in advancing the gospel through generosity. Partner with us in faithfully sharing the gospel where you live, work, and play. Partner with us through giving generously. You can do it online. You can do it here. We don't make a big deal about it because y'all faithfully do it. And we don't expect guests to ever give to our church. This is our gift to our community. However, if you choose to do so as a guest, you know where that money's going. It's going to help advance God's kingdom. And let's partner together both in faithful sharing and generous giving. And let's watch God's kingdom advance in our lives, in our neighborhoods, and throughout the CSRA. Let's pray. Father, I love the way Paul concludes this letter. And quite honestly, it's, a, it's an interesting way that he decides to conclude it, decides to close it out. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's just a reminder of everything he'd been taught, teaching the, the church at Philippi throughout this letter. That they are to live for the advancement of the gospel. That to live as Christ and to die as gain. That Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in your promises. That when we give generously, you will supply our needs. When we give generously, you will accrue that fruit into our heavenly account. When we give generously, it is an act of worship. May we honor you in everything that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.